0: Open with me to Proverbs thirty. Proverbs thirty. Greatly appreciate the choir, all of Pete's efforts and all of your efforts. Tremendous, tremendous blessing. Here singing like that, you get a little elevated off of that, huh? I'm telling you what, feel the Holy Ghost. This is the last of my back to school sermons because tomorrow you'll be back in school. I was thinking the one way to solve many of the problems we have at school is to separate the schools by gender. Then the boys wouldn't have to be tragically hip, and the girls could all cover their midriff because there'd be no boys to attract. Amen? We wouldn't have to worry about girls getting on the wrestling team. Can you imagine? This world is nuts. All our male schools wouldn't have women teachers in them prescribing Ritalin to try to make the girls act like the boys act like girls. Hallelujah. Be a better, better world all around, wouldn't it? All those male teachers would be unafraid to just pop that little punk upside the head, and it would bring order to our schools. We wouldn't have to have. Uh, metal detectors anymore. We wouldn't have to worry about discipline problems. We'd just beat the fuzz off them. (laughs) Amen. Sounds like a good idea to me. But it'll never work. And it'll never work because men need the civilizing effect of women. Women turn men into something slightly above a caveman level. (laughs) They're much needed in that process. Do you realize, think about this with me for a moment, if every girl in America said, all right, all of you guys, we're not going to have nothing to do with you until you get out of the gangs. What a social revolution you could have? Because I'll tell you right now, they'd all get out of the gangs. That would be the end of the gangs right there. Because women have that kind of power over men. But they've forfeited that power in this generation. See, unfortunately, the problem is the feminists got a hold of things. And they informed us that there are no differences between men and women. They honestly believe that. I've done a lot of reading in this field. There probably is no wackier person on the planet than a feminist. They honestly believe that there is no difference between men and women. And I'm talking about the whole route. Biologically. Biologically physiologically, psychologically. Do your own reading. These, these women are whacked. And if you're a feminist out there, I don't apologize to you. I encourage you, get out before you completely lose your mind. <laughs> the feminists got a hold of us and said that women should act more like men. And as that happened, they forfeited the civilizing influence. Amen. In a recent survey in Rhode Island, teenagers who were asked to give their opinion about whether a man has the right to have sexual intercourse with a woman without her consent, I'm talking about rape, 80% said it was okay if the couple were married, 70% if they planned to get married, and 61% said it was okay if the couple had had prior sexual relations. Let me, let, me, let me just inform you, if you're so pinheaded you don't get it, rape is never appropriate under any circumstances. Hmm. It's an interesting group here tonight. <laughs> In another study, 65% of the boys replied that it was acceptable to force sex on a person after dating her for six months. One-fourth of the boys said it was acceptable to force sex on a date when you've spent money on her. And these are the chumps that want to date our daughters. I recommend you get a big gun. And I recommend you meet these studs at the door and say, if you ever show your face on this property again, I'll just blow it off. Because one of those little chumps that they bring home from school believes this smack. Whatever happened to the civilizing influence on the male? In the last 25 years, our culture has, completely, has been completely reshaped by feminist and libertine thought that has demolished the instincts of modesty and of chivalry. Both of those are absolutely crucial dynamics in interaction between the sexes. As soon as you lose modesty and chivalry, or modesty and honor, if you'd rather use that term, you have forsaken all of the underpinnings that explain how we are to treat each other. And without those reference points, we're sunk. So since we can't opt for... Gender-based schooling. We're going to have to settle for a good verbal thrashing tonight. <laughs> and so boys and girls, listen up. Proverbs 30, verses 18 and 19 says, There are three things which are too wonderful for me, for which I do not understand. The way of an eagle in the air, the way of a serpent on a rock, the way of a ship in the midst of the sea, and the way of a man with a girl it's just incomprehensible. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your wonderful grace. I pray you speak to our hearts tonight, that you have right of way, uh, Lord, that you shut down, Lord, the influences of culture and society in our hearts and minds, and give us an open ear to the Word of God. Uh, Cause us to embrace truth and righteousness, God. Uh, Oh, give us a heart uh, for your glory, I pray tonight that you help every student in here, male and female, and even beyond that, God. Every, uh, uh, every person in this place tonight would come to reference points and understanding uh, of the opposite sex that will help them. I pray those that do not know you, God, will be brought to salvation by your grace and by the presence of your Spirit. I pray you have right of way here tonight in Jesus' name. And everyone said, uh, Amen. So, here you are, students, you're about to be catapulted into the deep end of the shark pool. And it's absolutely essential that as you go through this, you keep your wits about you and you don't panic. What I want to do, first of all, is explode some myths that are common in our thinking uh, that will help you to uh, deal with the sharks. The first of these myths, myths... is that we're just friends. There is no such thing as a platonic relationship between men and women. It doesn't exist. And the line that we're just friends is the height of self-deception. I don't buy it. Nobody who's been around for any length of time buys it because it doesn't work that way. Men and women have chemistry. If we didn't have chemistry, we wouldn't have children. There is no such thing as a Plutonic relationship. I guarantee you this. You may have deceived yourself into believing that you're just friends, although I guarantee you as well that there could come a moment when the circumstances are just right and all of a sudden your interests move into the romantic realm. But let's just pretend that you've convinced yourself that you're just friends. Let me tell you something. The other person doesn't think so. You have no idea what's going in their heart or mind. And the other person doesn't view it that way. The other person may be playing your game, but they're looking for it to to blossom and to develop into something more. And so, listen, I know, you guys are different. You're different. I'm just a grumpy old fart that doesn't know anything. (laughs) Read my lips. I am an aging preacher who's been around more blocks than you even know exist. <laughs> There's no such thing as a platonic relationship. I don't care how much he says, we're just friends. I don't care how much she says, we're just friends. It's bunk. Explode another myth, and that's the myth of dating. This is the myth, first of all, that suggests that you're a loser if you don't have a person on your arm. If you're not dating somebody, you're a zero, you're not socially adept. There's something wrong with you if you're not dating. Okay, I don't want a show of hands. But how many of you, even at your tender age, have gone through a broken heart? How many of you, even at your tender age, know someone who has? How many of you, even at your tender age, know an unwed mother? How many of you, even at your tender age, know someone who has a sexually transmitted disease? How many of you, even at your tender age, know someone who began to date someone and the next thing you know, they're both backslidden? And they're out of the church. So let me ask you in light of those questions, who's the loser here? The one who's dating or the one who's not? You know, relinquishing the whole myth of dating will save you endless hours of heartache. It will also save a vast number of brain cells. Because what happens when you get into these relationships is your brain starts whirling at 100 miles per hour and brain cells die off and pretty soon uh, you're saying things and doing things that prove that you've already lost half your brain do you honestly think at your tender age of 12 or 13 or 14 or 15 or 16 Or 17, we'll stop there because at 18 you're legally emancipated. You still don't have a brain, but you're emancipated. (laughs) Do you honestly think at these tender ages that you have the capacity to understand what love is, let alone figure out whether you're really in love and whether he, he or she is really in love with you? Do you really think you have the discernment to suss that out? I guarantee you, you don't. Do you honestly think that you have the insight into human nature to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that your eighth grade sweetheart is going to be the person you'll marry? No, let me tell you. Let me tell you something. Your dating relationships are destined to end. It is a guaranteed dump. She is going to dump you, he is going to dump you, but you're going to get dumped. That is what dating is all about. Hi, I love you, I'll dump you later. (laughs) Guaranteed, it is the rare, rare, rare couple that met in high school, fell in love and got married. It's rare. How many here are married to their high school sweethearts? One, two, you're from Kingman, you don't count. (laughs) You didn't have any options. (laughs) You had to marry your sweetheart. What else are you going to do in Kingman for crying out loud? Okay, we got one, we got two, we got three, four couples. Four couples out of all the couples here, uh, the odds are against you. The odds are against you. It's a guaranteed dump. So who's the loser here? Lady La La Land? Captain Fantasy who's convinced that this is the relationship? Who's the loser here? I don't tell you who the losers are. The losers are the ones who get caught up in dating and lose track of their education and lose track of their Christianity and lose track of their friends. Hello? They're the losers. They're the morons. They're the ultimate dweebs. I could crank this sucker up if you want. This stuff gets to me. You say, well, that's not why I'm dating. I'm not dating to find my husband or my wife. Then what are you dating for? You dating to get pregnant? You dating to have a pet? So you can show them off? Take them out for walks? Is that why you're dating? Look at my man. Yeah, 16-year-old man. Look at my sweetheart, my babe. No, I'd rather not. Thank you. Amen. Why are you dating? To prove to the world that you're cool? You dating to have somebody to buy you presents? Does he know that? Are you dating so you can have a squeeze that you can kiss on, or worse? Is that what it's all about? You you know, you're just one of the local dogs? You just gotta have your... Did you know that dating isn't in the Bible? You won't find it anywhere. Nobody dates in the Bible. They court. They move into engagement before they hardly even know each other. They're engaged, and then they have a period of time, and then they finally consummate the marriage. But You won't find dating in the Bible. It's not something that is a Christian practice. It's not something that is a Jewish practice. In fact, in a large part of the world, it still isn't practiced. Dating, it simply isn't on the radar screen of a lot of the world. It's something that is cultural. It's something that happens in America, but it doesn't happen in the kingdom of God. Let me throw out another myth. Sex is love. Somehow by having sex with the guy, you'll find all the love that you've been looking for. You'll, you'll just, you know, You'll find all that inner emptiness fulfilled and all your father's failures to give you the attention you deserved will no longer matter because because now you have someone who genuinely loves you. This is what he whispers in your ear. I love you. If you loved me, you'd have sex with me. He's a lying, manipulative swine. <laughs> Amen, Pastor Lamb. And you believe him. It's time to get the air in your head checked. <laughs> You're going to believe some guy talking that smack to you. If you loved me, you'd kiss me. If you loved me, you'd do this and you'd do that. But you should immediately say, as I don't love you, does that mean I can shoot you? <laughs> If loving you means I have to have sex with you, it, does that mean not loving you means I get to kill you now and save the gene pool from you? <laughs> so innocent young Christian girls desperate for love and often under great social pressure from their idiot girlfriends who are saying, Oh, yeah, you really ought to do it. It's not bad. It's great. Blah, 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 go ahead and sacrifice their virginity is a real bad move. Because not only now do you have a real problem with God, but you also find out that it had nothing to do with love. It's just cheap sex. And you just sold out to the lowest bidder. Philosopher Immanuel Kant said, Sexual love makes the love makes of the loved person an object of appetite. As soon as one has the person and the appetite has been satisfied, the person is cast aside as one casts away a lemon, which has been sucked dry. Isn't it true? If you are just the object of my appetite, once my appetite's satisfied, I don't want to go on eating. I don't want to go on having anything to do with you. I got from you what I wanted. And you were dumb enough to give it to me. Here's another myth. I've got to find my mate. How will I know who I want to marry if I don't date? Here's how you know. You watch them in church. You look for guys and girls that are in the prayer room. You look for guys and girls that are on outreaches. You look for guys and girls that are involved. You look for guys and girls that are soul winners. You look for guys and girls uh, that are more in love with Jesus than you are. That's how you find the right one. You watch, you observe, you see how they interact socially. You watch, you listen, you observe. And then after you've come to a point where you're old enough to get married, which I admit varies from case to case... My daughter won't be old enough till she's 40, but there are some here that seem to want to do it when they're 16, and that's your call. It varies. (laughs) But once you get to the point where you're old enough to get married, then what you do is you begin to see each other with the express purpose and the express intent of finding out whether this person is really someone that you could spend the rest of your life with. You're going to dig a little deeper now. You're going to start seeing each other a little bit more. This isn't really dating. This is the inception of courting. We're checking it out to make sure we want to go a little further. If it looks like that's where this is heading, then you get engaged. And then shortly thereafter, you get married. That's how it works. That's how you find out if the person you want to marry is really the person you want to marry. I want to tell you something. Dating from boy to boy to boy or girl to girl to girl to to find your mate will do two things. It'll get a lot of people really ticked at you. And it will also weigh you down with so much emotional baggage that anyone that's really suitable to wedge you won't want you. Amen, Pastor Lamb. Let me throw a little footnote in while we're talking about this whole courting process. I hope I've killed the dating mentality, the courting issue. Courting has nothing to do with physical compatibility. And there is no room... ...for the introduction of the physical anywhere in a courting relationship. The first physical interaction you should have is when the pastor says you may kiss the bride. That's it. Anything prior to that... ...throws the process of determining compatibility off kilter. And as soon as you introduce just a kiss... Just a kiss. Oh, there's nothing wrong with just a kiss. You're an idiot. An old pastor friend of mine told me years and years ago about a prostitute that he was witnessing to. And she said, if I can get him to kiss me, I can get him in bed. That's how strong a kiss is. I'll tell you something. Kisses can be electric. Electric. And as soon as you introduce that chemistry into the relationship, you've moved it off its moral base. You've moved it off of the realm of using your brains and you've moved it into thinking in the flesh and you're dead. From that point on, all your judgments are off. Oh, pastor, you're such an old prude. I was an old hippie. You're not talking to a prude. You're talking to a guy who's been around. And so you can blow this off if you want, or you can listen to me. If you blow it off, you'll regret it. The Bible says in Song of Solomon, just so you know, the Bible's on my side. I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, do not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. In other words, don't get certain things moving ahead of time. Don't get this whole love thing, you know, happening until you're ready to commit to this and make a marriage of it. And if you abstain from the physical connections, I guarantee you that when you marry, you will rejoice the rest of your days. You will be so happy that you didn't violate. You will be so happy at the decisions you made. And I can tell you right now, the happiest marriages I know are marriages between two virgins. Those are happy people. They don't have all the junk that everybody else has. All right, so... Society has done away with all of this. There used to be rules of conduct that would be in place that would cause this kind of preaching to be unnecessary. We used to have a society that understood two things. Modesty and honor. Those two things have been abandoned. And so I want to tell you, right now as a Christian, you have to determine in your heart you're not going to play by society's rules. You're going to adapt a different framework. And so I want to address these two issues for a moment. First thing I want to talk about is modesty. I want to speak to the ladies in this place, young girls. Modesty. I know, can you say modesty? Can you say modesty? Good. Somebody said it. Do do you even know what it means? Let me explain it to you. The dictionary says, having a regard for decencies of behavior and of dress, quiet and humble in appearance and style, not displaying one's body, virtuous, chaste. These are very good definitions. They aren't the whole of it. But as far as the outward issue goes, that kind of nails it. First Timothy 2, 9 and 10 says in like manner, also that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair, or gold or pearls or costly clothing, but which is proper for women, professing godliness with good works. See, modesty in, in uh, 1 Timothy here, excuse me, is directly associated with apparel. And here the issue is, uh, your, your, your clothing shouldn't be designed to draw attention to yourself. That's the whole issue. It shouldn't be such that when you walk down the street, everybody goes, Ba-boom. It shouldn't be such that when you walk down the street, they go, Man, I wonder how much she spent on that outfit. It shouldn't be such that draws attention to you. That's really what the issue is uh, in our text let me tell you something about the way you dress, girls. You know what? Let me tell you about the way boys think about the way you dress. Okay? If you dress like a whore, they think you are one. Nutty, huh? (laughs) Hardly makes sense. Those wacky boys, why would they assume such a thing? And when they look at you dressed like that, they say, she's after the same thing I'm after. Which is completely untrue. He's after getting his hands on every woman he can. You're after having a single husband that will love you the rest of your life. One man. That's what moves women. One man. So you're not thinking the same thing, but you're communicating him that you are. Yeah, baby. Let's hook up. Let's do the wild thing. If you dress like Jennifer Lopez or Britney Spears, don't be surprised that men aren't interested in your mind. They've already deduced that you don't have one. And you've already focused their attention somewhere else. They won't care about your mind or your inner person or who you are. Or your deep needs. You've already said this is what I want you to think about. Good preaching, Lamb. <laughs> There's more to modesty than dress. First Peter 3, 3 and 4 addresses the same issue, but it kind of comes at it from a different angle. It says, Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and a quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. And so what Peter is saying is that this issue of modesty isn't really just about what you put on, it's about the inner person, it's about developing the inner person, it's about developing an inner beauty, a quiet spirit, a spirit that is that has a certain amount of self-respect, and has a certain amount of morality, and has a certain amount of righteousness in it. Psalms 45, 13 says something that's fascinating. It says, all of the honor of the daughter of the king is within. All of the honor of the daughter of the king is within. See, what modesty is, is the recognition that You know what's really got to be developed in me is my inner beauty. Modesty says there are things about me that I will treasure and I'm not going to sacrifice, I'm not going to put out there on public display. Within every girl, this is a God given instinct. This exists, and our society has done all it can to undermine the instinct and to enervate it and to hammer it out of existence. But in every girl is a an instinct of modesty. Something about protecting themselves from exploitation. Something about guarding their inner person. You can see this in your most common behaviors. Whenever you bend over to pick something up or bend over a pew, you always go like this. Why do you do that? You do that because you want to keep your shirt from... Dropping away from your body and revealing more than you had in mind. Correct? It's an instinct. Nobody talks you to do that. You do it intuitively. I see little girls doing it. It's an instinct. Women will walk down the street with a slit up their skirt halfway to Kansas. And when the wind blows, they walk like this. They try to keep their skirt down. They don't want it blowing up. Now, why would you slit your skirt if you don't want anybody to see what's under it? Because there's an instinct of modesty that goes beyond fashion. Amen. You, I see girls all the time. When they think their top's too tight, they're doing this all the time. Just want to make sure that it's down over their pants so they're not exposing themselves. Right? They're not even thinking about it. It's intuitive. It's intuitive. It's instinct. You know you have modesty when you are talking to someone and your eyes lock and you become uncomfortable with that. Someone of the opposite sex. You're talking to a guy and your eyes lock and all of a sudden there's this, this weird thing and you're just not comfortable with it. It's modesty. It's an inner voice that speaks to you. Wendy Shallot is a, a very intelligent woman who wrote a book called *The Return to Modesty. She's Jewish, she's not saved, it's not a Christian perspective. It's a very, very strong argument, however, for the return to modesty. And she says this, Female modesty is not some artificial way of dampening allure, nor is it, as G.G. G. Schuller says, a mere distaste for skimpy swimsuits. It's much richer than that. Modesty is a reflex arising naturally to help a woman protect her hopes arising reflectively to help a woman protect her hopes. See, modesty ultimately is what holds the male world at arm's length. It says, I am available to one man and one man only, the man that I choose to wed, the man that I choose to ent- to let into my life. And, and I don't have any use for anybody else. I don't have any use for any other men. I'm not interested in being ogled or admired. I'm not interested in triggering thoughts in your mind. My hidden person is not for public display. It's for one man. And that's the man I will hold out for. That's what modesty is. It's an inner voice that protects you. It's a veil of inapproachability. It sends out a signal. I am not available. It's a buffer between you and And men It's a watchdog on your integrity It's the guard that is set on your virginity Our culture has devalued virginity To the point of insanity Virginity is a jewel It's a treasure It is the guarantee of a happy home And we've been sold the line That just get rid of it It has no value Beloved, that's not true Song of Solomon addresses, it says, we have a little sister, she has no breasts. What shall we do for our sister in the day when she is spoken for? If she is a wall, we will build upon her a battlement of silver. If she's a door, we will enclose her with boards of cedar. This is poetic language that is talking about virginity, and it says, if she's a wall, if she has set in her heart modesty, and men already have the notion, I'm unapproachable, then we will adorn her with silver. This is a girl that can be beautified This is a girl that is beautiful But he says if she's a door If any dog can come in and out Then we'll just close her up with cedar We'll see to it that no dogs can get close We'll guard her modesty for her See, modesty is the wall that keeps men off Parents, let me drag you into this mess You need to help your daughters with modesty you need to teach them how to dress modestly with helpful comments like, you'll go out dressed like that over my dead body. These are things they need to hear. If you even think about going to school and changing your clothes, I will find out and I will lock you in your room for the rest of your life. And someday you might want to drive by the school see what she's wearing. Hmm, there's a thought. <laughs> oh, not my little ducky duck. Eh, your ducky duck gets out of the pond sometimes. <laughs> you also need to give your daughters enough love and dignity that they don't have to go looking for it somewhere else. And this is especially true of Fathers. The father-daughter relationship is really unique. It's it's absolutely unique. Sons sons are great. Sons you can just slap them around, throw them around, have a good time. Just look at Heath Flitcroft. That's that's what sons are for. But daughters, man, they're something that you protect and you cherish. And you bestow on them enough love and dignity that they are completely comfortable with themselves. Amen. I read an interesting article in The Tribe Apart, A Journey into the Heart of American Adolescence. This is an article by Patricia Hirsch. Interviewed a 14-year-old girl named Courtney from Reston, Virginia, who doesn't want to lose her virginity yet. 14 years old, and she's worried about this. That's the world we live in. She doesn't, want to, she doesn't want to lose her virginity. When I was growing up, 14-year-olds weren't thinking about that. But now they're worried about it. And is baffled that her parents allow her to be alone so often with her boyfriend. No parental supervision makes it difficult for Courtney to draw the line. She complains that her parents are, aren't helping her by giving her so much freedom. They let me go over to my boyfriend's house when they know his parents aren't home. That's weird. That's weird. I am surprised that they let him come over all the time. This is a 14-year-old girl wondering what is wrong with my parents, allowing for so many opportunities for me to be deflowered. What Courtney needs is to be able to tell Fido, I can't come over today. And to be able to tell Fido, you can't come over today. Because my parents said no. That gives them so much to work with. That way, Fido doesn't get his feelers hurt. He can go out and look for fire hydrants for the rest of the day. He's fine. (laughs) He doesn't feel bad. He understands. This girl's got troglodyte parents. I have nothing I can do about it. And that's great. And here she has the perfect out. My daddy said he'll kill you if you come over. If you want to come over, go ahead. But I saw him cleaning his gun. (laughs) The bottom line in all of this is modesty, though it flies in the face of fashion, is your greatest safeguard. It's what separates you from all of these boys that are after you. It's your big brother that walks along beside you in the quarters of school and glares at all the punks that would hassle you. And gives dirty looks to all of the little devils that would seduce you if they can. Modesty walks along beside you and says, No, 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 there's lines you can't cross. I've already established those lines, and you're not welcome. See, so if you're playing the look at me game, girls, you're playing the wrong game. And you are opening yourself, whether you understand it or not, to a wicked assault. Furthermore, it can't be a mixed message, it's got to be clear. I'm a modest girl, I have values, and that's it. You can't say, here Fido, bad Fido. You can't do that. Amen? You have to say clearly, Fido, stay. I don't like dogs. And I have a can of mace to back it up. (laughs) Modesty is your safeguard, girls. And instead of fighting with your parents to be immodest, embrace it and say, this is what will preserve me for my marriage and for the man that I love who I haven't even met yet. Amen. The flip side of this issue is the male side of the coin, which is honor. And our biggest problem as males today is that the modesty that used to draw lines and used to hold buffers that we could understand. Okay, I'm not supposed to do that. Was, I'm reading these very interesting in this shallot book, all of these old uh, 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 principles of etiquette, how you tip your hat to a woman. This, this was the way that you could say to a woman, I recognize you without violating her. When you tipped your hat to a woman, you never made eye contact so that she would never feel threatened. There was a line there. So you just walked by, tip your hat. How unromantic. How uninspiring. Yeah, precisely. But it sent the message. Let's pursue this maybe. And it gave the woman the option to say, oh, I like the way he tipped his hat. And so she has a response, and she is able, if she chooses, to nod and acknowledge, I see your hat. I see your hat, and I'll raise you a dinner invitation. But she also had the option not to tip her head at all, and that would not be impolite. That would be sending the signal, get lost, Fido. And that put her in complete control of the relationship. So these are the kind of things that used to exist. and We laugh at it. We say it's Victorian. Yeah, but Victorians didn't have the problem with teen pregnancy that we do. And they didn't have the problem with anorexia and bulimia and girls mutilating themselves like we do. And they didn't have all of the baggage going into their marriages like we do. And they didn't have a 50% divorce rate like we do. And I think the Victorians knew more than we do. But unfortunately, the Victorians are all dead. <laughs> and that leaves us with us. And we don't have those lines drawn. Don't touch. Don't get too close. Don't stare at me, you little perv. Those lines don't exist anymore. They've all been abandoned. And in fact, the exact opposite messages are being sent. Touch, stare, ogle. So what do we do, guys? Guys. I want to tell you right now, just because women have lost the concept of modesty doesn't mean for you as a Christian it's fair game. What used to define a gentleman was that he would not cross the lines of modesty. That's what used to identify you not only as a gentleman, but as a man. If you cross the lines of modesty, you are something less than a man. You are something less than admirable. You are something less than completely human. There's something wrong with you. And so what this means is you and I have to establish our own limits of propriety. If they won't set them for us, men, we have to set them. Amen. We have to have more respect for them than they have for themselves. And Job said in Job 31.1, I have made a covenant with my eyes. Why then should I look upon a young woman? Job, without the line of modesty being drawn for him, drew his own line and said, You know what? I'm not going to ogle the girls. I don't care how skimpy their clothes are. I'm not doing that. I'm going to shut it down. As soon as it starts waddling down the aisle, I'm going to shut it down. I ain't going to look at it. I'm not going there. Proverbs 6, 24 and 25 says, To keep you from the evil woman. Tells you something about women. Keep you from the evil woman, from the flattering tongue of the seductress. Let me tell you something. Another line you're going to have to draw, man, is what you'll talk about with girls. And what kind of conversations you'll have with them. He says, do not lust after her beauty in your heart, nor let her allure you with her eyelids. And so this means I'm going to avoid the seductress. I'm not even going near a woman who has no modesty or morals because I'm afraid of them. This is a healthy fear. This means that you're not going to try to get from her what is hers alone to give. Maybe you read about the Spur Posse over in Lakewood, California, a group of young athletes who were running around molesting any girl they could find. And their whole ambition in life was to deflower as many young women as they could. And this finally was exposed and they went to trial. I never did read the outcome of that trial. But this is the mindset of the men today. I'm going to get what I want, whether they want to give it or not. What you have to say in your heart is, I'm not going there. I'm not going to reach for something that isn't mine to take. Amen? This also means you're going to respect women while you're with your male friends. When you're in the locker room and they start talking their junk, you're going to bring the Ten Commandments into it. You're going to bring 1 Corinthians 6 into it. You're going to tell them they're all going to hell and they're nothing but shameless perverts. You're not going to enter into the locker room conversation except with hellfire and brimstone because you honor women and you're not going to let other men talk smack about it. Boy, oh boy, won't that start some good fights? So, all right. There are some things that are worth fighting for. Amen. There has to be a certain denial in your heart, young man, of the accepted standards of the world. You're going to have to honor the fairer sex, even if they're not looking for that. You have to restore chivalry. God will not hold fornicators guiltless. He doesn't accept today's amorality. You have to defend a girl's modesty and honor, even if they're not defending it themselves. You have to recognize there should be a buffer between us. There should be a proper distance in our relationship. There are places I shouldn't go. There are things I should not do. Period. That's it. I am. What you do now, listen to me young men, what you do now and how you regard women now will determine what kind of marriage you have. Because the way you shape your thinking about a woman will determine how you treat her in your marriage. And if she's just a hoe, and if she's just for you and your satisfaction, you will treat her that way in your marriage and your marriage will stink. But if you put her on the pedestal that she deserves by virtue of her womanhood, and you honor her, then you'll bring that into your marriage. And she'll love you like you ain't never been loved. She will recognize in you something that she got from no one else in the world. And it will cause your marriage to last. It'll also have a great deal to do with whether you'll make heaven your home or not, the way you view women now and the way you deal with them. Because I want to tell you something. I've watched through the years and every young man that I've seen go for the fornication bait, I'd say 98% of them are gone to this day. Because the problem is they let the genie out of the bottle and it's real hard to put him back in. Once you awaken certain desires, they are really hard to overcome. And this is especially true in the sexual realm. Proverbs 23, 27, 28 says, For a harlot is a deep pit. And a seductress is a narrow well. She also lies in wait for a victim and increases the unfaithful among men. Women who have no modesty, women uh, who are sexual predators, uh, are women who increase the unfaithful, or in other words, increase the number of people that are not saved by their actions amongst men. It's the rare man that survives fornication. So there you have it, children. The water's full of sharks and you've been thrown into the deep end, my advice is swim for shore real quick. Get out of the pool and wait for Prince Charming and Princess Leah. (laughs) I'd like every head bowed, every eye closed. Perhaps you're here tonight and you're not saved. You don't know Jesus. You don't know the wonder of Jesus. Sins forgiven. And the reason why you don't know that is because you don't even recognize that you're a sinner. You don't even recognize how you violate God every day. Because you have no use for His law. You don't understand that the Word of God says that God created a a world and said there are moral laws that will guide this world. And the first of these is you will love the Lord your God. But you don't love the Lord your God. You love money. You love sex. You love things. You love people. You love everything but God. And so every day you offend God. The Bible says you won't lie. You won't steal. You won't murder. You won't covet. These are things that we do every day. We murder by hating, Jesus said. We commit adultery by lusting, Jesus said. We violate the law every day of our life if we're not walking in relationship with God because we're not even cognizant of its existence. We don't care about it. I want to tell you, every person in this place has violated the law. There's not one righteous. No, not one. We're all violators of the law of God, and we have a fearful judgment to look forward to because of the violation of those laws. There's a penalty for sin, and it's death. The Bible tells us that Jesus died for sinners. That he took, upon us his own, uh, he took upon His own shoulders our sins. And He paid for those sins with His own blood. It's as if someone stepped into court. Here's the judge. He's called you guilty. He, and rightly so. Because you know you are guilty. You know you violate God's law. And God speaks to you and says, You're guilty. Off with your head. And someone steps in and says, I will take His place. Let Him live. I'll die. That's exactly what Jesus did. There is salvation available. You don't have to go to hell. You don't have to answer to God in judgment and wrath. You can find forgiveness and peace with God. But you must repent. You must turn from your sin. You must cry out to Jesus. There is no other name in heaven or under heaven or in earth whereby a man can be saved but this name, Jesus Christ. There's no other way to be saved from your sin. That's what the Bible says so tonight, I would ask you, if you're not saved, if you're not living for God, if you know that you're a sinner, you know you violate God's law, and you want forgiveness, you don't want to go to hell, you don't want to be judged, you want God to show you mercy, you want the blood of Jesus to be applied to you, if that's you, would you raise your hand right where you're seated and say, Pray for me, I need Jesus tonight. Anyone at all, all over this building, I don't know Jesus tonight. I'm a sinner and I know that. I'm guilty. I'm a liar because I lie. I'm filled with hate, and bitterness, and anger and lust, all kinds of things in me that I don't want people to know about. I'm a sinner. I need Jesus, anyone at all. Maybe you're a backslider. Maybe you live for God. Maybe you fell for the very thing I've preached on tonight. You went for the opposite sex and you got burned. And you know right now you're out of you're out of relationship with God. You have forfeited something precious. And you want to get back online with God, would you raise your hand? Or maybe it's something else altogether, but you know you're backslidden, you know you're away from God, would you raise your hand? Speaking then to Christians, first and foremost to students, secondarily to any single male or female in this building. And in truth, even to married couples, modesty, honor, those are things that we carry into our marriage. The marriage bed is undefiled, the Bible says. And so there are obvious liberties that we're able to take, but we still hold the woman precious and guard her and guard over her and protect her. That's what men do. And so I would speak primarily, however, to students and to singles. These are the two missing elements in society today, modesty and honor. And you cannot take your cues from the world because the world has destroyed those virtues. Modesty is instinctive. Ladies, you know in your heart of hearts. But you have to be willing to face perhaps the reproach of modesty in a society that doesn't value it, that actually mocks it. You have to say, you know what? There's something more important about me than your opinion. I am worth more than your opinion. You have to find that in yourself and in your relationship with Christ. You have to develop an inner attitude about what you will and will not give away. Lines that you will draw, a buffer that you will erect around yourself to keep the men at bay. Men, you must be men of honor. You must recognize that women are not sexual objects. They are women. They are humans. They are precious in the eyes of God. They have value. And God built into them this wonderful mystery of virginity. And He wants that to be safeguarded. He doesn't want you violating it. So I would speak to every young man and woman to set your reference points here tonight and put down a marker and say, God, I'm not going into that whole dating game. I'm not going into that whole boy-girl thing. I'm going to live righteously, and I'm going to build boundaries and honor boundaries that honor God. We're going to stand together. We're going to open this altar. If God's speaking to you, I want you to come. We're going to sing this song, On Bended Knee I Come.